Um, have you ever been around a person? Well, before we go, here's my one of my stories. Of course, one of the safer ones. But when I was eight, and I know it's like you're eight, way to go. But that's kind of funny. I was uh, in Harps and I saw these baseball cards I really wanted. And so I had, I guess I didn't have any pockets or I just thought it was cool to stuff things in my underoos. I don't know what, but I took them, put them in there, thought no one's, I'm going to walk out of here with these things. Mom didn't see me. So I start walking out the store and I I guess an associate saw me do it. uh, Or I had like this big bulging thing coming out of somewhere. And um, so he, but he waited until like probably the most opportune, embarrassing moment where I was up by the registers about to walk out thinking this is happening. And a guy grabs me or kind of, you know, uh, holds me back and he says, uh, son, do you have something that doesn't belong to you? I said, no, sir, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and um, I'll, or I don't know if I was eight years old. I don't know what I said. I probably peed my pants. But uh, he, said, he said, I think you do. And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, I, I need you to uh, drop your pants. And uh, and so mom was like, cool, you know, and so here I go, drop my pants. Here's your cards. I don't know what they did with those cards afterwards. Um, he probably just should have let me keep them. But anyway, I was caught. Um, have you ever been around someone where you just don't even know if they're lying or not? You guys know those people where you just don't know if what they are who they say they are or uh, they do what they say they do? And uh, some people are really so good at lying, they don't even know that they're lying anymore. Um, one person who is not like this is my daughter, Albany. Albany is four years old, and now you're saying, well, it's a four-year-old, of course. But no, I have a three-year-old son named Boston, and homeboy's going to be a poker player, Okay. Poker is like the game of poker is a game of deception. I cannot tell when that guy is lying or not. I mean, he is very convincing. But Albany is not like that. Albany, she has a tell, okay? So those of you that know poker, um, don't confess it today. But if you know poker, poker lingo, what a tell is, is when you you give yourself away. Because, again, poker is a game of deception. You don't want anybody to know what you have in your hands. And so when you twitch or you do something or, ooh, this, you know, whatever it is, you give yourself away. So Albany, she has an immediate tell, and, and her tell goes something like this. Um, Daddy, I, um, I, uh, there's a lot of water in the kitchen. You're not going to be mad, right? What? Of course I'm going to be mad, you know, but I don't say that. What is it, honey? You know, what happened? Well, I don't know what happened. There's just a lot of water in the kitchen, and uh, you know, I don't know uh, what, what happened or how it happened. I, I didn't do it. It was, uh, it was, I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. I promise a million times. Please don't spank me. And it's like, why would I spank you? You know, you didn't, you didn't do that. Well, I, uh, I kind of did it, but it wasn't my fault. Like Boston told me to do it, and usually that is the truth. Uh, but she is just, she's just a little heathen. She's a liar, and we're all liars. And some of you would be like, I'm just like Albany. I'm terrible at lying. But I think probably most of us, if not all of us, we're very good at hiding. And we're very good at deceit, because hiding is deception, right? Hiding is a lie. If you're hiding, you don't want someone to know where you're at. In fact, the definition of hide, to hide is to put or to keep out of sight, to conceal from the view or notice of others. That's hiding. And so probably, though, you would say, I can't tell a lie. I have a tell. Most of us are very good at hiding. A USA Today poll found that 56% of Americans teach honesty to their children. A Lewis Harris poll turned up the distressing fact that 65% of high school students would cheat on an important exam. Those of you high school teachers, you're like, of course, duh. But recently, this is crazy, a noted physician appeared on a network talk show and proclaimed that lying is an important part of social life. And children who are unable to do it are children who may have developmental problems. 
society tells us that if we aren't good at lying, then we have problems. We might not be developing the way that we're supposed to develop. And so it's from the beginning, from when we were born, from children, we lie because it's our nature. Because it's who we are. We're taught to lie. But we don't really have to be taught to lie because we're born experts, right? A little boy one time um, went to a baker. His mom sent him off to, to get some bread. She gave him 65 cents. He went into the store and he laid, <clears throat> he asked for the baker for bread and he comes out with this loaf and the boy says, sir, that loaf's kind of small for 65 cents, isn't it? He says, well, you'll have less to carry, son. And so the boy reaches in his pocket and he puts 50 cents on the table. And the baker says, well, son, you're 15 cents short. And he says, well, you'll have less to count now, sir. And uh, so we lie because we're lied to. We hide because no one else is coming out. Uh, We think it might uh, be weird because no one else is struggling with the things that I'm struggling with. Or no one else thinks the way that I think. And so we just hide. It's our nature. We're born into it. But guess what? It is not God's nature. Lying is not God's nature. So we're in Exodus 20, 16. We've been in Exodus 20 for a couple months now. So just get your Bibles out. And, and we're on commandment number nine today. Has the Ten Commandments been good for you guys these last couple months? They've been really, I, I'm telling you, like, I, when I read the Ten Commandments, you know, I, I think first of all of, of um, NRA homeboy, whatever his name is, and then uh, you know, this mo and, and I do, so the Ten Commandments are just kind of this, okay, fine, don't murder, don't steal. Um, but boy, when you really dig into those things, uh, you see the character of God and you see who God is and what he loves and what he hates and what cannot exist uh, with him. And so he gives us the law so that we can see the nature of God. But today we're on the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So I'll be honest, when I, I, I haven't preached in like, Three or four—I couldn't count. Three or four years, probably. Um, I used to being youth in youth ministry, and uh, I did it every week, and I was in a routine. And I haven't, so I, it was kind of a struggle this week preparing and knowing how the heck this was going to go. Uh, but when I went to Mike, I said, "Mike, I really miss teaching. Could you just give me a couple opportunities to do that?" And I'm thinking, "Well, I can teach everybody about how to worship, you know." And uh, so he goes, "All right, man, here you go." And and he gave me the ninth commandment, and I was like, "Can I have another day uh, to do this?" Do not bear false witness to your neighbor. Like, how am I supposed to speak on that? Uh, but I, when, I, when I dove in and I looked at exactly what was happening here, and, and again, seeing the nature of God, um, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. So I, I think this morning, um, I, I just want you to open up your hearts to this truth of who God is and what he's commanding us to do. Um, when, he, when he gave this command to the Israelites, the context that this was received, this meant don't lie to a fellow child of Israel. Do not lie to a fellow member of a covenant community. It was a proximity thing, a kin thing, a family thing, and for the people who are near you, uh, geographically speaking. And the law forbade lying and commanded truth of God's people. But as Christ's people, as Christ has come in the New Testament and he has come to fulfill the law, we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan that our neighbors are not just those who are, we are, are geographical around us or the ones who we are related with and close to, but that everyone is our neighbor. Everyone that I come in contact ought to know who Jared Sears is. I don't put on a facade. I don't act like something I'm not. 
But everyone should know because everyone is my neighbor and I cannot bear false witness to them. Jesus even says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and in Mark he even says with all of your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. So it comes hand in hand that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And in, in telling the truth, rather than bearing false witness, the love of God and the love of neighbor are all rolled into one package. And we are the bearers of his truth. If you claim the name of Christ, and that's what it means to call yourself a Christian, then we are bearers of his truth. We are images of the God who we claim to serve. We ought to mirror him. And so we bear his image. So today, as we enter into this, we have to ask ourselves a question. Whose image do I bear? Who do I serve? Whose image do I bear? And it is not an outward action thing today. When we talk about when we're talking about lying and bearing false witness, we're going to talk about necessarily just speaking a lie. We're going to talk about who am I and whose image do I bear. So I believe there's two options and only two options of whose image I bear. So number one in your notes, I have a lot less notes than Mike, so you're going to have to fill in blanks. Number one is father of lies. The father of lies is, is uh, one option of whose image that we can bear. John 8, 44, Jesus has very stark words with some religious leaders and some Pharisees and Jewish uh, folk where they're saying, yeah, God is our father. And Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, I love this, he speaks his native language. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. Lies deceive. Satan loves to deceive. Lies break relationships and trust. Satan loves to break things. Lies are convenient, are they not? That's why we lie. And guess what? Satan loves convenience. Have you thought about that? If your faith right now in your life is very convenient and complacent and comfortable, then you might not be bearing his image, God's image. Satan loves convenience. Buy this and you'll never have to worry, right? That's what we're told. Or take this and you'll be completely satisfied. Or come to this and you'll be whole. We assume and consume these lies. They flatter and they seduce. They deceive and they delude and they kill and they destroy. And that's Satan's game. He's the father of lies. In an honor culture, Albert Muller says, he's talking about the context, again, of how the Israelites would have heard this. He says, in an honor culture where reputation meant everything and where life and death could hang in the balance, false witness could kill. 
The law of Israel included a detailed system for how evidence or witness could be brought against someone, especially those accused of a very serious crime. It is no surprise, then, that the Old Testament repetitively prohibits false witness. Truth must always be spoken about one's neighbor, for even one incident of false accusation could unravel the social fabric of an entire community. I personally would love for someone to describe my community like that, but I actually feel like it doesn't. That one lie, one deception would unravel. We're so, we're so unraveled. We're, 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 we are consuming those lies. Trust is fundamental for civilization. If I can't trust my neighbor, if you can't trust the people that you live with, that you're closest with, that you work with, that uh, are, are in your home with, that you do your hobbies with, if you can't trust your closest people, then does civilization not break down? If I can't trust this person, then, I, then, then there's, there's, I can't, there is no relationship that can be had. Society is broken. And this is the great enemy and his weapon. This is what he uses to keep us hiding and to keep us private and to keep us thinking, if this person, and you've thought this, if this person only knew, if they really knew what I thought and what I do in my private life, they would never have a relationship with me. I would hurt them badly. And so Satan has us trapped. Because we've spun this web of lies that we can't get out of. And what's crazy is so backwards because the lie is what breaks our relationship. Right? The, the deception is what puts up the walls. Yet Satan tells us otherwise. Can you handle the truth? Do you really think that you can handle the truth? I think that's a fair question today. Can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth of actually knowing what people around you think and who they really are? Or are you so fine with the Stepford wife life to keep everything surface level, keep everything safe, to, get, to keep everyone happy, plastic people? I believe that for many, being a Christian is about how well we can hide. I'd write that down. I believe that for many, being a Christian is about how well we can hide. Because we see the truth of who God is, and then we think, I, that's not me, so I, I cannot claim Him. And, but, but, we, but we miss it. We miss the whole point. We miss the whole point of the Gospel is that the gospel says that we need Jesus because we are broken, because we are sinners. Our righteousness are as filthy rags. If you want to do an interesting study, go home and see what that actually means, to our righteousness to be as filthy rags. But we have nothing to offer to gain our salvation, to become a good person, but through the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe that for many of us, the greatest thing that can happen to you and to me is to be exposed. For someone to walk in 
or to hear your thoughts and to come out to your family and your neighbors and your body life group and your church and stand up on the stage and say, guess what? Jared thinks this. Jared does this. And I know that sounds completely terrifying. But in all honesty, it would be completely liberating because no longer would you have an option to hide. No longer would you be concealing those things. And you would have to be honest with the fact that you need Jesus, that you are nothing without Jesus. And that you are filthy, messed up, sinner in need of a Savior. Invite someone in into where you hide so that it will be harder for you to hide again. The world doesn't believe our happy plastic people and happy plastic steeple routines. I think they're weary of it. I think they want to see a people who absolutely need God because they cannot do it on their own. We are so stagnant because we don't believe the gospel. We keep living, living this lie even to the point where some of you don't even know who you are or what you believe anymore. Can we just acknowledge our enemy's presence today? Can we just acknowledge the fact that as we see his scripture and as these words are being spoken, you're throwing up walls. You're getting defensive. You're pushing back. Fears are starting to well up inside of you. That's, that's the enemy, folks. Your worship is being fought over every day. There is no point where you can stop the war and step out and take a breath. You're always being fought over. Your worship is being fought over. Proverbs 12, 17 to 22 talks about and compares and contrasts as a, a contrasts a truthful and a dishonest person. It says a truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. There is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. This is our God. And that's the second option Number two, of whose image that we can bear is the God of truth. We can bear the image of the father of lies, or we can bear the image of the God of truth. And I know what we all want to say because we're here at church today, right? And I know that, that the father of lies seems like this, like, well, I'm, like, I, would I would never bear his name, but I'm telling you guys, I sometimes it looks so similar to God, the things of God, the blessings and the things that he gives us and God himself. But we have to watch ourselves. We have to watch our heart. John 17, 17, Jesus asked the Father to sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. Christianity is established in God's truth. So a mark for Christians is for us to be what? Truthful. That's the mark of a Christian. The worst possible lie that we can tell is a lie about God. And second, and closely behind it, is that we have it all together. 
And really, that's a lie about God. Can we reflect His glory by just saying we fall so short and that we need His grace and we need His Spirit? Charles Spurgeon said, If your sin is small, then your Savior is small. But if your sin is great, then your Savior must be great also. Do you serve a great Savior? Are you a great sinner in need of a great Savior? Our neighbors, not just geographical, but those who we're associated with, it is vital that they know the truth. Because God is truth and we bear His image. That God created this perfect world and we screwed it up. We decided to, to go after becoming like God and pride sets in. And don't give, me the, don't give me the garbage that you weren't the one that made that decision. You choose yourself over God every single day. And so God doesn't start all over and wipes it off. He starts this rescue mission. And so he gives us his law so that we can see how holy and great he is and how we cannot possibly follow this law. That we cannot become like God. And so here comes Jesus, and he comes to fulfill that law. And he says it's all wrapped up into two commands. Love me and love your neighbor. And he sets out as the sacrificial lamb to take my place on the cross for God's wrath and judgment. And then Jesus shows his power over death, gives us the same power, and one day God will come back and he will finish this thing. And every knee will bow every tongue will confess that he is truth. There will be a realization on that day that many will not know until that day. That he is truth. That's the truth that your neighbors have to know. That we need Jesus. We are nothing without him. We owe God the truth first. But second, we owe our neighbors the truth. Because we are his image bearers. Number three, we have to beware of something today. And it's something I didn't know anything about until this past week. You need to be beware of sinkholes. Beware of sinkholes. So just the other day, February 28th, 37-year-old Jeff Bush was laying in his bed at night, asleep, and all of a sudden the earth took him and everything in his room. The other five people in the house, they came out just fine. They have no idea where Jeff is. Gone. He's gone. They have not found his body. And Jeff had that feeling of security when he laid his head down on his bed that he was going to wake up the next day, and that was a false sense of security. He was living on top of what scientists call a sinkhole. Does anybody know what a sinkhole is? Some of you. Scientists say that a sinkhole occurs when the underground streams drain away during seasons of drought, causing the ground at the surface to lose its underlying support. Suddenly, everything simply caves in, leaving people with a frightening suspicion that nothing, not even the earth beneath their feet, is trustworthy. Literally, go Google it, sinkholes, and you will see that the earth has just fallen in. Are you living on a sinkhole today? 
Are you living on earth that you think is, is firm and secure, but really you're underneath you, everything's about to cave in and collapse and fall apart, and nobody knows it because you're afraid. You're afraid of judgment and failure. You're afraid of losing your family and your friends and your job and your plan. You're afraid. No one knows that we're living on a sinkhole. Gordon MacDonald said it well in Ordering a Private World. He said, The inner world of the spiritual must govern the outer world of activity. If you have tuned this out so far today, if you've heard, kind of heard this and, and, all the, and you've just been like, none, like, again, walls go up, excuses are made, it's not worth being honest, then I, I have to tell you, you cannot prepare enough for the collapse that you're about to experience. You cannot prepare enough for that. And I, I know we were at a men's retreat this weekend, and I know many of you, I know that some of you, that's your, that's your story, that's your testimony, that everything that I thought was secure and there and right, just gone. Are you living on a sinkhole? Romans 2.16, Paul says, according to my gospel, God will judge the secret lives of men. So listen, you're exposed already. Jesus knows. And the great news is, I better get a big old amen after this. He still went to the cross and died for you. Amen. He already knows. You've been exposed. And God someday will judge the secret lives of men. And what hurts and burdens God's heart the most, I believe, is that we are not in love with Him, that our heart is not in tune with Him. He doesn't care about our actions before He cares about he cares deeply about who you are, not necessarily what you do. And that's something that God's been really working me over for the last year. And there's some scriptures that I've read. I've read them over and over and over again, but I just never caught it. Right? Here's some of them. Psalm 51.6. Behold, you delight in the truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret part. Isaiah 29.13. This people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. So again, they're singing to me. They're giving me, you know, homage that I deserve, but their hearts are far, far from me. Ephesians 3, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? From the heart. It's not what you say. It's not what you do. That all comes from something. And God is so interested in who you are and if you continue to live like you are today then who are you becoming how do we live out this truth we'll close with this two things and I, you can write them down number one is that we have to be in his word okay i know that's duh write it anyway <laughs> we have to be in his word if if we bear his truth how will we know how to speak that truth if we're not utterly dependent on his word. And can I confess something today? I struggle with this. I struggle with this my whole life. 
I struggle with wanting to, to be in the Word and to be in His truth. And what happens when I'm not in His Word is I start to see my worldview shift ever so slightly. Ever so slightly I start to shift and I start to see things a little bit differently. And I start becoming angry with people. And I start judging people. And I stop caring about hurting people because frankly I just don't care. I have other things to do. My worldview starts to shift. I really don't trust God, so I start taking things in my own hand. I become greedy. All I see is this world and not the supernatural things around me. Can you relate to that? When you're not in His Word, it's just waking up and doing life and going to sleep and waking up and doing life and going to sleep. And I'm not seeing that He's working all these things around me, that He's wanting me to see what He's doing supernaturally. Number two, we have to be accountable to someone. We have to be accountable to someone. If you have, if you have a spouse, then you must ask for his or her accountability. How could I have the marriage that God desires when my spouse doesn't know my struggles and my thoughts? Now, I'm not going to lie. This is incredibly hard because probably that person is the last person that you want to hurt and disappoint. But therein lies the issue, does it not? Does your marriage reflect a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because a marriage is the closest thing on this earth that, we're, that we are to see as this relationship with Jesus. He calls himself the bridegroom. We are his bride. And he describes that in himself as forgiving. Is your marriage forgiving? Is it unconditional? Is it humble? Is it serving? Is it it's not self-seeking? Is it not easily angered? Does it not keep record of wrongs? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13. That's not just for marriage. That's God's character. So does your marriage reflect that? And as you're thinking about someone to hold you accountable, you also ought to be thinking about another person that can be objective in your life. That can kind of come in and see from the outside what's happening to you. And this person doesn't need to sit with you and say, oh yeah, Jared, you're you're, you're not that bad of a person, dude. I don't mean think about me. You're not that. You're doing a great job. Don't worry about it, man. We all struggle with that. You need a person to say, "Get up, fight, put away the malice and the evil desires that's in your heart, and make war. Fight that. Put it away." And I've been so grateful for the people in my life that I've allowed to speak to me that way. That's the way we were created. We are not supposed to do this alone, people of God. We are created for community. Yet Satan wants us in this place where we're justifying our darkness and he wants to keep the secret chambers of our hearts in secret. We don't fall into that lie. Scientists now say that a series of slits, not a gigantic gash, sank the Titanic. The most widely held theory was that the ship hit an iceberg, which opened up a huge gash in the side of the liner. But an international team of divers and scientists recently used sound waves to probe the wreckage. Buried in the mud under two and a half miles of water, this was their discovery. The damage was surprisingly small. Instead of a huge gash, they found six 
relatively small, narrow slits across the six watertight folds. So small damage, small damage, even when invisible to most, can not only sink a great ship, but can sink a great reputation and can sink a great life. You can avoid the sinkhole today. You can start fresh today with whom you're closest to, to those whom God has placed around you, who you need to know that you're a great sinner in need of a great Savior. So here's the question today. Are you ready? Do you believe the gospel? And is God worth it? It's, it's, that, it's that clear. There is no gray. Do you believe the gospel says it can take the blind and make him see? It can take the diseased man and heal him. It can take the broken and the messed up and restore. Okay, I believe that. Well, then our next question is, is God worth it? For you to have a hard conversation with someone. For you to be honest and truthful with someone. For you to stop lying. Stop living with lies. Hard. And if you don't follow Jesus today, you don't know truth. You only know shadows of truth. You know shadows of love. You know shadows of right and wrong. You know shadows of beauty. But if you don't know Jesus, you don't know truth. And I invite you today, if you don't know God, to come and pray with someone. We're going to have people up here in the front. Want you to be invited to come and pray today. You can avoid that sinkhole. For many of you, you're living on that, and you don't even know where to start. I'll tell you a great place to start. There are people that will pray with you, and that's a great first step to just confess and believe in the gospel that He died for you, knowing all of that. He still died for you. Went to the cross for you. ask God for his boldness and his courage today. Lord God, teach us in the inward being, in the secret heart, Lord God, teach us who you are. I pray for my friends, I pray for my peers, my church, Lord God, that you would give them boldness and courage to stop living a lie, to start living and relying on you. mountain of fear, Lord God, and you can lift us up on your shoulders.